Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here today. I've got a word I'm so excited to share with you today. And I know that what the Lord is going to do amongst us today is incredibly powerful. I know that because this morning um, we had a mishap with our trailer. We lost the keys, couldn't get into our trailer. Amen. Come on, somebody. I love little obstacles like that. I know that because right at like the pinnacle of the message during the first service, we had someone come in and disrupt the service. And I don't know about you, but I know that when the enemy gets mad, he creates obstacles and and chaos and confusion. And I used to get worried, frustrated and fearful and think, no, this will never work. But I know a God who makes all things possible, amen? And so now when I see obstacles like that, Pastor Ty, I'm just like, and I think the enemy's like, forget it, I give up on these people. Every time I throw an attack, they get excited. Amen? You have your Bibles with you today. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm gonna be reading today in Matthew 28. We're gonna read verses one through 10 in eager expectation of what the Lord will do amongst us today. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Then we'll jump down. We're going to read verses 16 and 18. Later on, I'll take you kind of all throughout the text. I want to show you something unique about this king of ours, this king who rose, this king upon whom the government rests at his shoulders and who carries all authority and power. Do you have Matthew 28? Say yeah. Verse one, it reads like this. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and came like dead men. Now, I said this in our first service, and I want to just encourage you. If you come from a charismatic tradition or maybe a Pentecostal tradition, and you've ever seen anybody fall out in the spirit, you ever watch that today? Or maybe you're not, but you like to watch memes, and you've seen those Benny Hinn memes when he's swinging his coat. That's when people fall out by the power and the presence of God. That is exactly what happened right here. Now, you might be Reformed or Presbyterian or cranky, and you might think, that's not real. I hate to break it to you. It's real. And in this moment, these guards who weren't even believers saw something they'd never seen before, and the toughest of the tough were like, (sighs) and hit the ground. The Bible says they fell as dead men. Verse 5, the angel of the Lord said to the women, don't be afraid. I know they fell. Don't worry. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly to tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, on the way, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings. 
And they came up and they took a hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers who go to go to Galilee and there I will see them. Skip down to verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But even then some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The title of our message today is crowned. He is crowned. My God is crowned. My Jesus is crowned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this word. Jesus, we adore you. We magnify your name. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we surrender to your will. We yield to you. God, I ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds. You cast aside distraction, worry, anxiety, and fear. And that in this room, we would be fertile soil upon which the deposit of your word would take root and would bloom in Jesus' name. And all that agreed said amen and amen. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had an opportunity. We've been growing as a church pretty rapidly, um, and, and it's, been, it's been really fun, actually, for me to get connected with some of the new faces. And I've, I've been working with a couple of the newer guys who've come to our church uh, walking through the Bible. And we, I started both of these guys in Genesis. And so I challenged them every day to spend 15 minutes in the word, either reading or listening, and then to text me with questions. And we've just been having so much fun because when you go through the text with the eye to ask questions, you get a lot more answers. Amen. And, and when, you're, when you're diving into the text with a purpose, you, you, you'll find that there's so much more to it than you had imagined. I don't know how you read the Bible, but I've gotten to a season in my life, a maturity in my faith, where I literally read the Bible like a graphic novel. It's like a giant, amazing comic book, and Jesus is the best superhero that ever lived. I am turning the pages and looking for the pictures and having the most fun. I love the Bible. It wasn't always like that. When I first started reading the Bible, I, like most of us, was just like, this, I don't even... What does it even mean to begat somebody? <laughs> Most of us, when we read the Bible, it, 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 it blends together. Let's be honest, it's hard sometimes. And I challenge people in our church, especially new in the faith, they say, which Bible should I get? And I said, just get the one you'll read, amen? And so I recommend to them that they get an easy to read translation. Maybe it's the message translation or the new living translation, just something that brings it to life and makes it so that they're excited to get into it. And, and, and I love to watch as people do that and the light bulb comes on. When I'm working with these guys, they're starting to send me texts and sometimes they're, you know, we're walking through Genesis and they're just like, so wait a minute, hold up. Is the, is the serpent the devil? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, can snakes talk? And I'm like, no, no, snakes cannot talk. But they're asking questions. The beauty of the text is that the more that you get into it, the more exciting it becomes. The more exciting it becomes, the deeper you dive, the deeper you dive, the more revelation, more revelation, more power, more power, more change. 
And so when I read the Bible, especially when I read these texts, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the narrative of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, his ministry from start to finish, I love to read the details of the story. Like when I read this story, I don't just see a vague picture of women who came to the tomb and then, and then ran off to tell some friends and then Jesus. I mean, every part about this story is great. I always want to be in these stories. Do you ever want to be in the Bible story? Like when Samson is swinging his his jawbone, when, 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 when David picks up five smooth stones, when Peter's walking on water, I always want to be in those. And this story I've always thought about because there's this part in here. It says, Mary and Mary went to the tomb and behold, there was this great earthquake and the stone rolled back from an angel It says the angel's appearance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. But there's a thing at the end of verse two that I just love and it just makes me giggle every time I read it. It says he was sitting on a stone. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an angel. I pray for it all the time. I do. I pray for, I'm always like, God, just cover my sons and continue to strengthen my marriage and go before the people in our church. And also, I want to see an angel. Amen. I love you. And It's always in there. It's in the tail end. And the Lord's like, I don't think you really know what you're asking for. Because every time an angel shows up in the text, the first thing the angel always says is, don't freak out. Don't be afraid. And it's not because they're handsome. It's because they're terrifying. But I still want to see an angel. And when I think about an angel, I always think about them big and monstrous, big wings standing or, or fighting or flying. But this text, it says that there's an angel just chilling. I wish I could have been there. Mary and Mary plotting to figure out what they were going to say to the guards to get into the tomb to anoint the body. And they walk up and there's an angel. (laughs) Have you ever even seen an angel sitting like this? I mean, what does he do with his hands? How does he? Every time I think about this, I'm like, what in the world was that looking like? How does an angel with wings that are 12 feet long, where does he tuck them? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, where does he? I always want to be in these stories. And I want to encourage every believer, when you read the text, don't just gloss over the text. Dive into the text. The beauty is in the text. Every word is on purpose. There's detail that matters to us. And what I know about this detail is that this angel is resting. This angel is resting. Now, angels, you should know, are warriors. When they come down, they got business to attend to. They're either here to to drop some knowledge or to kill some demons. But when Mary and Mary show up, there's an angel at rest. Oh, I hope you can see me preaching already. When they walk into this situation, this angel's not just there to proclaim or declare or cast the vision. This angel ain't there to kill nobody or slay nothing or defeat nothing. This angel is at peace. And he says, hey, what's up, dudettes? And they're like, frozen. And these guards (laughs) and he's like don't worry everything's copacetic I know you're looking for the king right and have you ever been nervous with your friend you ever get in trouble with your friend and you both getting yelled at and you're like you talk first this is your fault you got us in this mess I imagine these two ladies are like I am not saying nothing 
and they don't say nothing. And the angel says, I know you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. Remember when you, he said he was going to rise up. Remember that? Yeah. And they were like, uh-huh. He goes, yeah, he rose. In fact, he's headed to Galilee. Go tell your brothers to meet him there. You see, the angel knows that Jesus is now walking in the fullness of his power. That means this angel ain't got no fight to fight. You see, when the king walks into the room, every principality and power that is against the king falls to its knees and dies and shudders and submits because he's king of kings and lord of lords. And so even the warrior angels are like, we're on break, brother. The boss is here. Uh, did you all see that in the text? I hope you do. I hope you get in there like that. That's the best part. That's the beauty of the Bible. And when he shares this, I want you to understand the magnitude of the conversation. You see, when, when he says he's risen, he speaks into a desperate spot into the hearts of these women. When he tells them, go tell your brothers, and these two women are tasked with telling the 11 other disciples, hey, he's, he's, he's not dead. You should check this out. When these disciples have to go to the tomb to find out for themselves, when they rush to the mountain at Galilee, they are rushing from a place of deficiency. You have to remember, they trusted Jesus. They loved Jesus. They followed Jesus. And even though that Jesus told them, I came to die, they couldn't really fathom it. Many of them thought that he was going to be king of Israel, a political king, a ruler king, a natural king. And so when he died, much of their hopes about liberation and freedom and, and wholeness had died. When he, when he was brought low to the place of death, it brought them low. See, you have to remember that on Thursday... Jesus washed the feet of a man who in just less than an hour would sell him out. Shortly after that, Jesus would be arrested and he would be denied by a disciple who had declared that he was the son of God. A disciple who promised, hey, if everybody leaves you, promise I won't leave you. Side note, anybody ever tells you? <laughs> you can count on me. I just want you to be like, I can count on Jesus, just so we're all clear. Amen. That disciple promised he would never deny him, and yet he denied him. And in just one day, Jesus went from selfless servant to betrayed and denied, arrested and questioned. Questioned by Pontius Pilate, who even in the midst of his questioning was trying to find a way for Jesus to get out of it. But Jesus didn't want a way out of it. Jesus was questioned and interrogated and then convicted unjustly. And then he was shackled and he was dragged away. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was tortured. And the one who was high and lifted up was brought as low as you could be brought. But to make matters worse, after they'd finished the beating and went to take him to the cross, they mocked him. 
They humiliated him. They spat upon him. They made fun of him. And then he died. It was as if everything that could have ever been imagined to break and destroy and humiliate humanity was brought upon Jesus. You see, he was brought low. And so when the disciples meet him on the mountain in Galilee, and he looks them in their face, the 11 remaining and the women surrounding, the Bible tells us that some doubted. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm reading this, I'm like, which one of these boneheads still doubted? Now we know his name was Thomas. And if your name is Thomas, I am not going to be upset with you. I'm not transferring any of my anger. I just can't believe that you wouldn't believe. No, I'm kidding. The Bible says that he stands before them, stands before them, and even then some doubted. And he looks at them and says, all authority and all power has now been given to me. In my sanctified imagination, I can imagine that he is saying that specifically to the doubters. Amen? I just love the idea that Jesus is like, what's up, you guys? Which one of you doesn't believe? Hey, what else we got to do, right? And he declares this thing to them that is powerful, it's beautiful, it's breathtaking. What he's really doing is he's, he's declaring a truth that he's been declaring for some time, but when he says it in this moment and in this circumstance into the pain and fear that they just had, how many, two, three hours ago, it's as if he's bringing them the good news for the very first time. But you should understand that what he's saying isn't new to them. He's telling them that he has all power in his hands, and the way that he says it would have been an echo from Daniel, if I can find it, chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. You see, if you read your Bible, the way that Jesus talks about himself, his preferred name for himself is the Son of Man. He doesn't call himself King of Kings. Nice to meet you, Lord of Lords. How are you doing? So good to see you. Emmanuel, God with you. <laughs> How are you? Jaira, I'm your provider. That's not what he says. That would seem weird, right? Do you know what he calls himself? He calls himself the Son of Man. And what's really cool about that is that people that don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible or that Jesus was the son of God will often say, yes, but Jesus never said he was God. And I say, ah, yes, he did. And here's why. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, a teacher amongst, amongst a Jewish culture of people who knew this word inside and out. And when Jesus called himself the son of man, he was referencing the prophecy, the vision from Daniel. Daniel, who said this in chapter seven and 13, he said, I saw in the night visions and behold, from the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's the father or Yahweh, and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom to all peoples and all nations was and all languages was the challenge to serve him. His dominion would be an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom will be one that cannot be destroyed. So when Jesus said, I'm the son of man, no one would have thought he was saying anything other than I am God. Yes. 
So when someone ever tells you Jesus never said that, you can say, oh no, he said it in the worst way. And so when he meets his disciples, he says, do you remember the words? All authority and all power is officially mine. Do you see the weight now? You see, it, rang, it, it sort of rang empty earlier, but then in this context, I imagine that these disciples were like, bro. I don't know if they talk like that. <laughs> Whatever Aramaic is for bro. I imagine that they would have been overcome to understand that the grave couldn't hold him. And here stands before us a king who has risen. That's why in Revelation, when John writes of the revealing of Jesus and the end of days to come, he says in Revelation 19, 12, on his head will be many crowns. He, John is writing a rephrasing of Jesus. All authority and power, John says, on his head, many crowns. Jesus says, all authority and power, and John says, on his head, all of the crowns. Jesus says, all authority, and John says, all authority. You see, that's the best part about this message today is that Jesus declares all power and the invitation is that you would say all power. In the first service, I said, how much power? All power, all power. We didn't just say some of the power. It wasn't power over the Jewish establishment. It wasn't power over just this one death. It wasn't some authority. It wasn't a little bit of this. It was all sufficient, everything, all of it forever and ever, amen. And that's the gospel that we preach here at this church. We preach the inerrancy of the gospel, this word in its original translation, which would reveal the sufficiency of Christ, meaning he's our all in all. We need nothing more and nothing less. When it says in him, all things are possible, that means in him, all things. See, you didn't even say it like you believed it. But I'm telling you, that's what we preach. When we preach in this Church, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I don't preach to you that the Son sets free some of y'all. Front row, mostly. No, I mean, we preach exactly what this word says. Because he's sufficient. And so that means that we'll preach some things sometimes that will ruffle feathers. We don't preach Jesus and in this church. We don't say read the Bible, believe in the grace and the faith that you, you have inside of you to be saved and then also uh, pray the rosary. We don't say that because it's not in here. We don't allow you. We don't preach this. We don't celebrate the idea that Jesus is sufficient, but there are some things you need to burn sage for. Amen. We don't preach that you can mix things with Jesus because he didn't preach that you can mix things with Jesus. He said all authority and all power, which means that no matter what you face, Jesus is the answer. Come on, somebody. And so John writes, he says, on his head are many crowns, many crowns, every crown, whatever you need, he's the king of it. That's why the writer of Hebrews rights of a crown. In Hebrews 2 and 9, 
the apostle who writes the letter to the Hebraic diaspora in Greek and Near East cultures. He says, his is the crown of glory and honor. A crown uniquely reserved for him. It's also referenced in Revelation 14, 14 as a golden crown of glory. It is a crown that rests upon Jesus' head when he is called into judgment. Read Revelation 14. It says, this crown is placed upon his head at the same time a sickle is placed in his hand. He is not only God of grace, but he is a God who is just. With him comes judgment and mercy. On his head are many crowns. And this crown... It's rightfully his. And so are each of these crowns on this table. And I want to show you what it looks like to serve a God who is over all things. A God who is sufficient in all things. And the king who is king no matter what. Amen? So let me show you this. This is the golden crown of glory and honor. Jesus owns this one still today. But there's another crown. This crown is called the crown of glory. It's written about in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. This crown of glory belongs to Jesus as well, for all authority and power are his. Amen. And the crown of glory rightfully rests upon the king of glory's head. He is to be glorified. In him is the fullness of God's glory. He is our glory. And this one is his. But 1 Peter 5, 4 says, he chooses to give this crown to some of you. See, that's the best part about a king who's over all things is when he's the ruler over all things, he gets to delegate anything. Amen? He gets to choose who rules and reigns and walks with him. And guess what? He called you, chose you, brought you here today. And this crown, the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5 tells us, is reserved and given to those in faithful leadership of the church. It is given specifically to pastors and clergy who are faithful in leading others to Jesus Christ. And in this church this crown would be rightfully given by our king to Pastor Ty Morris. Pastor, would you come get this? Would y'all give him a hand? That's, that's good. That's good and honorable. The crown of glory for you, sir. Now you wear it how you know, that's how it, show them, show the people. That's how, that's how our Pastor Ty would wear that crown. All cock-like. Jesus rightfully claims that crown. And yet, because we are his children, he rightfully gives that crown to those faithful in service. There's more. This crown. The crown of rejoicing. The crown mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 2 and Philippians 4. A crown meant to represent exuberance, fulfillment, celebration, and joy. A crown 
that is perfectly worn by Jesus, for he is the fullness of our joy. In him are pleasures forevermore. He is our joy in the morning. He brings comfort to those who need joy. My favorite fruit of the Spirit is joy. And I can't wait to the day I get to see my king. That will be joy. And Jesus gets to wear this crown. And yet the Bible tells us that he chooses to give this crown, the crown of rejoicing, to someone specific as well. In the text, it says that this crown is given to those who share their faith. It is the people who just can't keep this to themselves. They love what the Lord has done, and they don't mind telling anybody about it. Amen? These are the kind of people that when you're in line at Starbucks, they're talking to you about Jesus. Amen? You just want to get your macchiato and get. And they're like, ain't God good? And you're like, yes, he's very good. And I wish he would speed this up. No, these are the kind of people that don't mind how silly or, 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 or awkward the conversation might be. They've met him. They know him. They love him. He's transformed their life. And they're fitting to tell everybody they've ever met about him because they want him to have the same thing. Amen? In our church, a church like this, a crown like this, given to someone who shares their faith boldly, honestly, and consistently, well, in our church, this crown would go to a man like Cody Partain. Cody, would you come down here and receive this crown today? A man who shares his faith and is always telling me about somebody he's telling about Jesus. Amen? Amen. The crown of rejoicing, my friend. The crown of rejoicing. You ready? Bam. And yet there's more because on his head are many crowns. The Bible says still crowns to come. This one, the crown of right now. I know y'all are getting hungry because you're like, hey, that's a good looking crown in the middle. I'm hoping he calls me for that crown. I want that crown. This is a good crown. This is called the crown of righteousness. It's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 when the apostle Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, the crown of righteousness. Oh, make no mistake, this crown is Jesus's also. For he is the righteousness of God. In him we are made righteous. By his blood we are declared righteous. There is no one worthy, qualified, or called better to wear the crown of righteousness than my King Jesus. But when Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is soon to take the leadership role in his church, he mentions the crown of righteousness and he says, this is a crown that Jesus chooses to give to those who love his presence. There is a unique anointing and gifting and favor upon the hearts of those who just wanna be around the king. You know these people. All they listen to is gospel music. Amen? You're like, can we please listen to some trap? Come on. And they're like, no, no, no. In this, it's only Brandon Lake's album. Over and over. I'm looking at my wife over 
These are people who love the presence of the Lord. They love to pray. They love to worship. They love to intercede. They love to be around other believers. They like to speak of holy things and, 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 and converse with holy people. They love to greet each other with a holy kiss. It is simply the tangible manifest presence of God that they adore. They recognize that Jesus lives in them and they want Jesus to live all around them. Amen. In this church, this crown would be reserved for many of you. But today this crown would be given to Mama Rosa. If you've ever been to this church and seen anybody with oil on their head, that's Mama Rosa. She slapped it on them. She prayed for them and prays over all of us. The crown. This crown given to those who love his presence, who love to be in his, I don't know how, we, there it is. Wear it, girl. Love you, mama. Oh, 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 see, the devil won't try to take your crown, but you need a good son to help you on the way. And still the Bible says that on his head are many crowns. Next is the crown of life. A crown mentioned in James 1 and Revelation 2. A crown that represents those who walk in life fulfilling, life sustaining. A crown that is rightfully worn by King Jesus because he is everlasting life. In him we find eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And yet he chooses to give the crown of life a marker that even in this life, there is still life to come. He chooses to give this crown to those who endure through trial. This crown is given to people who are able to continue to move forward through the most difficult of circumstances. And you might think, oh, so life's dealt them a bad hand. Yes, and even those who've made enough bad choices that they've caused their own struggle. This is given to people who can endure. And in this church, this crown would be given to Deacon LQ Donaldson. Would you come down? For those who would stand and continue to move forward despite everything that might come their way and on the other side would be life and life eternal. Amen. <laughs> and yet on his crown, on his head are many crowns. And this crown, this crown I saved, it's a, a delicate crown and it is replete with many jewels. This crown is called the incorruptible crown or the imperishable crown. It is called that because Jesus is the king of an incorruptible and imperishable kingdom. It shall not pass away. 
He is king over a kingdom that will rule and reign forever and ever. Amen. He is the king of the beginning and the end, and he will see it through to the end. What God has begun and established will be forever. Amen. An incorruptible crown. And yet, it is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, as a crown that though Jesus rightfully wears... He chooses to give to a certain person. When Beacon launched in the fall of 2019, the summer before I got to preach at our parent church, Brave, and um, they're different than us is the best way I can say it. It's a large, very affluent church of... of, um, a very wonderful and holy people. Um, but when I sweat, they get nervous. Do you know what I'm talking about? When I shout, they're like, what is happening right now? And, 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 um, and I got a chance to scare them, I mean, preach for them on the summer before we launched. And the Lord had yoked our hearts with many people who, who had started there but just felt called to what we were doing in the city. And there was a man who, who felt that call. And he, he started to attend Began in the fall of 2019. And he had been diagnosed with lung cancer. He lived in a community just south of Denver uh, on land that had been owned by DuPont, a chemical company. And over the last 10 years, dozens of people in his neighborhood had been diagnosed with a very rare form of incurable lung cancer. And he would come and sit in the back with his oxygen His wife was not yet a believer nor his children, but he knew Jesus and he was so excited to be in his presence and he would sit in the back with his machine. And on Friday nights, when we would take a small team down to the Denver Rescue Mission to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, he would join us. He would pray over and pray with men in some of the most dire situations and he would speak hope to them when he couldn't breathe or speak at all. When we went digital because of the pandemic, he breathed a sigh of relief because it meant that he didn't have to travel as much and being in communities of people was at risk for him because of his immune system. And he watched us online and he was the most vocal I'd ever seen him commenting on all of our live streams so very often. When we finally came back to our service, our first launch service back on Easter of 2021, we met at the Globe Hall and he came his health had taken a turn and he, he sat towards the back and he brought a big machine this time and th- that machine actually breathed in and out for him. He said it was so good to be with his family again but it was just too dangerous. He decided to take the remainder of that April and just listen to the podcast. In May, my wife and I had a chance to visit him and we sat with him And he was getting sicker. And I said, how do you feel? Which is, you know, one of those questions you ask when you don't know what to ask. When I asked that, I was embarrassed. I was ready for him to tell me, dude, I'm dying, right? And he said, I'm so excited. He said, Soon I get to see Jesus. He said, the doctor said I don't have very long, but I mean, I can count the days. I can't wait to touch him. 
You've ever heard me preach at this church about what it's like to meet Jesus. Much of that language that I use came from my conversations with my friend. And he said, what do you think he looks like? What do you think he smells like? And I can't stop thinking about that every day because I know that my friend, just three weeks after that conversation, finally got a chance to find out the answer. This crown is given to those who finish well. And this crown at our church is given to Brent Boyd. Who died of lung cancer and couldn't breathe, but today is shouting and jumping with the king in Jesus' name. Amen. And all of these crowns, they all rightfully belong to my King Jesus. For on his head are many crowns. On him is all authority and all power. They're all his and he can wear any one of them. And yet he chooses to give them to those who love him. Because our relationship with Jesus has always been a relationship of exchange. He's given his life for ours. His death that we might not have that death and his crown for us. And yet there is one crown he won't let you have. You see, if you flip back one page in Matthew 27, verse 27, it says, before he was killed, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him and stripped him of the robe, they put his own clothes back on him, bloodied and destroyed, and they led him to be crucified. Here's what you need to understand about this part of the story that I know that you've heard. Jesus came to die and his death was the penalty reserved for your sins. He needed to die that you might be set free. He needed to arise that you might arise as well. All of that, his mission from start to finish, every part of it had to happen. And yet he was also mocked, humiliated and made fun of but that didn't forgive your sins. I mean, I want you to think about this for a second. Being taunted and teased was an unnecessary act. And yet Jesus, because he's part of the Godhead, sovereign in all of his ways and in complete control, chose to go to the cross to die for you and he did not have to let this happen and yet Jesus chose to be mocked taunted and teased, humiliated, made fun of, spit at, and embarrassed. He chose that. And he chose this. A crown meant to bring about shame in the bearer. Meant to mark someone of disgust and derision. Meant to identify a thief, a liar, a killer, a cheater, a cretin, a heathen, a sinner. Yes, sir. 
And Jesus chose that he might wear this crown, that he might be made fun of, that he might take the shame of sin so that when he hangs his head and says it is finished, you're not just forgiven of your sin, set free from the consequence of sin, but you're also free from the shame and regret of your sin. You see, I meet too many Christians who know that they're saved and they're miserable. They love Jesus, but all they can think about is how bad things were. They, they want to follow Jesus, but they're always worried about whether what they've done is far too much. Wondering as if Jesus saves everybody in this room, but not you, not that. No, no, that's too much. And Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundant. That doesn't just mean forgiven. It means forgiven and set free. It means forgiven, set free, and whole. It means walking without shame and walking without fear. It means knowing that I love you regardless of what you've done and what you still might do. There's nothing you've done that Jesus says, that's too much. He says, I paid it all. And I don't even want you to feel bad about it anymore. You see, the enemy uses shame to tell you not only have you done bad, but you are bad. And Jesus takes the crown of shame and says, I'll take all the bad for you. You see, this crown is rightfully your crown. But he would never let you have it. Because he gives you his crowns. And yet here's the best part. Where are my people that have their crowns? Y'all ready? Meet me down here with your crown. See, you may not know this, but since our relationship with Jesus has always been a relationship of exchange and Jesus is kind and he gives to us, our relationship with Jesus also elicits from us a similar exchange. That's why when you read the text in Revelation 4, it says that even the elders who were crowned to reign and to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel, when they walk into the throne room of the Father and see Jesus rightfully seated at the right hand in all glory and splendor, they see him and they take their crowns off and they cast them before the throne of God. You see, our relationship with Jesus has always been a relationship of exchange. He gives to you, and as it changes your heart, it causes us to give right back. And you're here today, and you said, I, I want to be a part of that exchange. I want to I know that I'm forgiven. I want to know that what I've done is not more than what he's done. You're here today and the enemy's talking to you and he's arguing with you and he's trying to remind you that this is your crown. You belong in this crown. You might be forgiven, but you're still worthless. You might be forgiven, but you're still useless. You might be forgiven, but you're still down and low and dirty. You're plagued with fear and, and anxiety. You're plagued with shame and worry and sadness. You can only think about the things that you've done. A spirit of regret washes over you. You want to be forgiven, but you cannot forgive yourself. And Jesus says, 
I'm the king of that too. I am the king over that too. And today I want to invite you to not just say yes to Jesus' forgiveness, but his restoration and the wholeness that he makes for you and I today. Would you bow your head all over the room? For those of us who think us unworthy, who think that what we've done is so egregious that God would change his mind, to think that he loves others more than us, that he would crown them, that he would save them, but his back would be turned to us. I say to you today, that is wrong. He came as a once for all sacrifice for you, that he would redeem you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, that you'd be forgiven from the inside out, that as far as the east is from the west, so you are from your sin, that when the father sees you, he only sees the redemptive blood of a son in whom he is well pleased, and that he wants to convince you of the same. And so I want to pray a simple prayer today that is but the beginning of your journey with Jesus Christ. Would you repeat after me, Father God? I'm a sinner and I feel shame. But Jesus, I know that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave. You overcame my sin and you destroyed my shame. That in you is life everlasting. In you is fullness of joy. In you is a new life. Today I receive it. I declare it over my life. Remove guilt, remove shame, remove regret. I am free today and I crown you as king forever. Amen. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! 